1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? I think you got the point. is in operation. And what an operator he is in Ian Fleming's Thunderball. Have you seen everything you came to see? Now go back to your friends and report. Tell them the little fish I throw back into the sea. Come on! Thunderball stars Claudine Auger, young, beautiful, trapped, could be dangerous. What sharp little eyes you've got. Wait till you get to my teeth. Adolfo Celli, smooth, silent. Spectre's agent of death. Luciana Paluzzi, lovely to look at, murderous to know. Friends of yours, no doubt. Come in. 007, danger sign for the world's most famous gentleman agent with a license to kill and a license to thrill. 007, guarantee sign of prompt delivery, night and day service. The things I do for England. Ravishing redheads. Bronze brunettes. Honey blondes. The Bond Women, 007 style.
Spitaro, and I'm here again with my James Bond correspondent, Mr. David Pascarella. Hey, Dave. How's how it going, you? Paul? It's going well. I hear you have some uh, some news of I some do. sort. I uh, do. Apparently, the movie we're going to do today, can I say the title? or? Sure you can. Apparently, Thunderball, after having just watched it very carefully, is sponsored by the Ford Motor Company. <laughs> because everywhere in this movie, whether they're in France or England or Nassau, everybody's driving a Ford, except for the DB5. <laughs> well, was was I guess Ford was pretty prevalent around the time this movie came came out. You know. I mean, I, I watched the credits, literally looking for you know like a, a, a line you know vehicles provided by Ford Motor Company. And they didn't have that, but it all over this realm from the beginning to the bitter end. Well, and as as Dave said, we're covering Thunderball, which came out in December of 1965. So uh, despite the fact that I would have been three years old at that time, I did see this in the movie theater. My first experience of it was in the movie theater. It just was not in its initial release. Uh, when I discovered James Bond, it was when Diamonds Are Forever was in the movies, and I think I saw it with my parents. Uh, and then they had a double feature of Thunderball and You Only Live Twice, and I don't. I think I saw that with my two brothers, uh, but I did see them in the movies. That's great. Don't you miss that when they used to bring the movies back and had a double feature? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the closest we have now is the Fathom events where they uh, will reissue a movie, you know, for, for, for a week or for a weekend. Uh, and you get a chance to see something on the big screen that you missed. But, yeah, it, I mean, there's there's no pr real profit in it for them to re-release long term any movies now because, you know, the home video market has killed any 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 real audience for a significant box office for those movies now well you know it was the whole experience too i remember we went to see off topic of course sorry star wars and the empire strikes back they did a double feature at the walker theater on 18th avenue in bensonhurst i'm familiar with that theater and that was before it was cut up you know where it was still one massive theater with about the balcony was always closed but it was you know an old-fashioned theater yeah so yeah, just just having a balcony in and of itself is is kind of a, a totally different concept now from what you experience in a movie. Theater. Remember, for a time, the balcony was the smoking section. Yeah, because that would keep the people from the rest of the theater from having exposure to it, right? <laughs> right, exactly. So so dumb, <laughs> <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> anyway, uh, what was your was your, I, I'm assuming your first experience with this would have been. Probably on commercial TV. Um, this was one of the uh, Bond movies that I had never seen that I bought it, you know, like the I said about uh, from Russia with love. I was trying to buy all the VHS cassettes and I ordered it 
from the video store on 66th Street in Brooklyn. And after six, Mm -hmm. eight weeks, it arrived. And that's how I... Because I was buying them in order. This was also the last one I bought. Oh, we're looking at... Okay, so you didn't didn't get to... uh, You only lived twice from that particular uh, venture? I think by the time I got there, it was... um, a relative of ours had two VCRs and he was able to copy it. Uh, so it was no, the, the old way of uh, bootlegging back then. Yep. I was very familiar with that. <laughs> One of my buddies uh, had, had, you know, he and I each owned our own VCRs independent of our families uh, that we lived with. And uh, we would actually, you know, we lived like two long Brooklyn blocks from each other. And we would like one of us would disconnect their VCR and walk two blocks carrying it to the other one's house. And we'd connect the two of them with a couple of RCA Mm -hmm. wires and copy some movies. And and like in the beginning, it was, oh, I could fit three movies on one cassette. And then it then it eventually turned to, no, they're cheap enough. I could afford them. I'll put one movie on one cassette. Then it got to it's cheap enough to afford it. I'll just buy them pre-recorded. That was it. The prices dropped like I think Thunderball was one of the ones that I paid maybe forty five dollars, maybe even fifty. Well, back when I first got a VCR, a blank videotape was I think around fifteen or sixteen dollars. Yeah, I remember that. And the first price drop was it became like three for twenty five. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think the, probably uh, we've probably gotten past the point where we can get in trouble for having bootleg these. No, the statute of limitations is passed. <laughs> anyway, uh, much like, well, you know, we, we, we've kind of, we're trying to go in order now, but we, before we started going in order, we had already covered Goldfinger and we covered Never Say Never Again, both of which I think call for some discussion of those two movies in the discussion of this particular movie. But, you know, at this point now we're going straight ahead and and I guess we're going from Thunderball to the last most recent movie, you know, by the time we get to it, uh, of the, you know, of the uh, licensed movies that that are, you know, because Never Say Never Again was, although it was licensed, it wasn't part of the same uh, distribution. So, so we we are now on board to go straight through with the regular United Artists Broccoli Saltzman movies in in sequence. Uh, so you know, Diamonds Are Forever. I mean, excuse me. Doctor No introduced the character from Russia with Love. Gave us some of the tropes. Goldfinger really kind of polished them up. Oh yeah, and presented the James Bond formula. Uh, and also, though we had. Dr. No and From Russia with Love gave us some Spectre, whereas Goldfinger gave us a little bit of a, a respite from that. Now we're back with Thunderball. We have the formula in place, and we're going back to Spectre again. Correct. So, and much like From Russia with Love, I think as you watch this one, there's points where you start to scratch your head and say, what are they doing now? <laughs> so I'm going to read the plot again. Please, please read the plot. 
James Bond attends the funeral of Colonel Jacques Bouvard, a Spectre operative connected with the previous murders of two MI6 agents. Bouvard is alive and disguised as his own widow. Why he was doing that, I still don't. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. Bond identifies him, pursuing Bouvard to his chateau. Bond fights and kills him, escaping with the use of a jetpack and his Aston Martin DB5. At a Spectre meeting in Paris, chaired by the enigmatic number one, Emilio Largo, Spectre operative number two, I guess he replaced Dr. No as number two, introduces the group's latest project, hijacking two atomic bombs and holding NATO for ransom. The plot begins at Shrubland's sanatorium, located close to a NATO airbase. Coincidentally, James Bond is at Shrublands to improve his health. There he notices that fellow patient Count Lippy has a tongue tattoo. Bond searches Lippy's room and is seen leaving by the man in the adjoining room whose head is covered with bandages. Lippy tries to murder Bond with a spinal traction machine, but Bond is saved by his physiotherapist, Patricia Fearing. Lippy and Angelo Palazzi, the bandaged man, are part of Spectre's plot. Angelo's face has been surgically altered to match French Air Force pilot Francois Durval, who is also staying at Shrublands. Durval is slated to fly on a training mission aboard an RAF Avro Vulcan strategic jet bomber locate, loaded with two atomic bombs. Angelo kills Durval, collects $100,000 from Spectre agent Fiona Volpe, then demands an, an extra $150,000 for the job. Fiona seemingly acquiesces. The next morning, Angelo takes Durval's place on the flight. Angelo gasses the rest of the crew, then flies the Vulcan to the Bahamas, landing it in shallow water near Largo's ship, you know, the Disco Volante. You know why he did that, right? It's better in the Bahamas. That's what they say. Spectre scuba divers, commanded by Largo, retrieve the atomic bombs. Angelo, trapped in his seat strapping, is left to drown by Largo for reneging on his original deal with Spectre. Meanwhile, Bond has uncovered Duval's corpse at the clinic. On the way to London, Lippy attacks Bond, but a masked motorcyclist kills Lippy with a rocket-propelled grenade and zooms off, abandoning the motorcycle and unmasking. The rider is revealed to be Fiona, acting on Blofeld's orders to eliminate Lippy for, his, for hiring the greedy Angelo. At an MI6 conference in London, all of the 00 agents are informed of that Spectre demands 100 million pounds from NATO in exchange for returning the bombs and threatens to destroy a major city in the United States or the United Kingdom if the ransom is not paid within seven days. Bond recognizes the briefing photograph of Duval as the corpse at Shrublands. He asks M to send him to Nassau, Bahamas to contact Duval's sister, Domino. While snorkeling, Bond meets Domino. Later at a casino, he encounters Largo and Domino, who is his mistress. Bond enters a game against Largo and wins, and subsequently takes Domino to a dance. Bond and Largo recognize each other as adversaries and begin a tense cat-and-mouse game, while still pretending ignorance of each other's true nature. Bond meets Felix Leiter and Q and has issued various gadgets, including an underwater infrared camera, a distress beacon, underwater breathing apparatus, a flare gun, and a Geiger counter. 
Diving under the Disco Volante, Bond fails to find the atomic bombs, but detects an underwater hatch. Bond narrowly escapes Lago's henchmen. The next day, Bond visits Lago at his estate, Palmyra at his estate. Palmyra, <laughs> the next day, Bond visits Lago at his estate, Palmyra. Bond's partner, Paula Kaplan, is taken to Palmyra and then commits suicide with a cyanide pill rather than give any... I wonder if it was in a cigarette. I have no Just idea. Call, calling back to Dr. No. Yeah, that's true. Bond is kidnapped by Volkby but ex escapes through a junk canoe celebration to the Kiss Kiss Club where Volpe is accidentally shot and killed by her own bodyguard. Bond and Felix search for the Vulcan, find it underwater and inside a camouflaged cargo net. Bond tells Domino that Largo killed her brother and asks her for help in finding the bombs, giving her the Geiger counter. As she searches for the bombs on the ship, she is caught and tortured by Largo. Meanwhile, Bond disguises himself as one of Largo's henchmen and uncovers Largo's plan to destroy Miami Beach. Bond is discovered and trapped by Largo, but rescued by Lighter in a United States Coast Guard helicopter, allowing him to alert the authorities of Largo's plan. U.S. Navy frogmen parachute into the area from a U.S. Air Force tra transport aircraft, with Bond joining them after an underwater battle. Largo's divers surrender. Largo escapes to the Disco Volante, which has one of the bombs on board. As he begins to leave, Bond gets on an underwater fin, and Royal Navy and U.S. Coast Guard vessels pursue the Disco Volante. Largo has the ship start creating a smoke cloud, and when the Royal Navy and U.S. vessels start to close in, he has the rear of the ship jettisoned, revealing the front to be a hydrofoil, which, he, which escapes at high speed. Bond climbs into the ship's bridge, where he battles Largo and two crew, crewmen while controlling the ship, as it weaves erratically among rocks and reefs. Meanwhile, Largo's hired nuclear physics, physicist Kutse frees Domino. Largo is just about to shoot Bond when Domino shoots and kills Largo with a harpoon gun. Bond and Domino and Kutse jump overboard before the ship runs aground and explodes. A skyhook-equipped sky CIA B-17 aircraft then rescues Bond and Domino. So... I think the description of it is it it presents what we see on the screen, but the story is pretty convoluted. And it, the funny thing is, you know, with all the lawsuits that ended up taking place with uh, Kevin McClory and all, there was a thought that they were going to just kind of recreate the same plot over and over again and make multiple <laughs> movies out of it. And it's so convoluted that I think you could have done that. You could have broke it off into pieces and just had different films. Yeah. Uh, I don't think, well, yeah, I don't think it was as convoluted as From Russia With Love. No, it wasn't. And this, this really was, as a kid, you know, as a young kid, when I, I guess when I saw this, I was probably eight, somewhere around there. Uh, my, ex my experience was, with Bond was just let the story take me where it's going to go. Don't try and make sense of it, which is something I think we talked about with From Russia With Love. And this, this one is almost like the prototypical version of that. There's so many times where the, where the scene changes or the, the circumstance change. And if, if you're not really 
understanding where they're going, you kind of have to just say, okay, let me shrug my shoulders and just move on to the next part of this movie because otherwise I'm not going to enjoy it. Right. Right. So this, you know, this, this was at least for an eight year old, this was the bond formula, at least, at least for this eight year old. Um, but I enjoyed this. I look back on it and I could be more critical of it now, but when I first saw it, I really enjoyed it a lot more. Um, I think, you know, some of the things that, you know, I think we, we did the same thing with From Russia With Love, where I talked about some of the weaknesses first. Uh, some of the weaknesses to me are the gadgets are nowhere near as good as what we got in Goldfinger. Right. But at, le at least they're gadgets. Once again, as in Goldfinger, I really didn't care for the casting of Felix Leiter. Terrible. Which is, which is a, re a repetitive thing, because there's only a handful of Felix Leiters that I've liked. And they all seem to fall short of, of Jack. Lord. Right. Well, that, you know, that's what I had said from the beginning. Jack Lord is Felix Leiter forever to me. So everybody's a step down. But that aside. And the, the other thing is, I think there are action sequences in here that are either a poorly uh, choreographed, because I think some of them just look a little phony in the in the movements or B, poorly edited because the final underwater battle scene just kind of, first of all, it goes on too long. And second of all, it really starts to become difficult to figure out who's who because they're all wearing kind of the same outfits and they're just battling each other. And it's just, you know, a very, very repetitive uh, score at that point. Well, isn't that the same score that they play in uh, uh, From Russia With Love in the Gypsy Village? where they're fighting and yes. then the same score in yes. Goldfinger when they're going into the vault. I thought in the vault, it was a little different. I think, uh, I thought it was the same as that part, not actually in the vault with like, they're driving the trucks up to the building and cutting the door down. I kind of thought that's what was playing in the background. I could, I'm not certain to be honest with you. I don't have a specific memory of it being the same. So I can't tell you you're wrong and I can't tell you you're right. I'm willing to live. I'll with just that. accept. <laughs> okay. I could very well be wrong. <laughs> uh, I, I did kind of like the casting in this. I, I liked, you know, Domino I thought was, was appropriate. Uh, Largo, I thought, you know, he isn't really meant to be a physical match for Bond, but he seems appropriately shifty and dislikable. I kept thinking when I was watching this, flashing back to Never Say Never Again. Klaus Maria Brandt. That guy was like a goofball compared to this guy. This guy, I yeah, this could guy see did him. Seem, you know, when, when, when he seemed, you know, when he was getting upset, like you could see him smoldering a little bit. Brandauer tried to do that, but I, I don't think he was effective in the role. Like, you know, you, you just think Bond would just kind of slap him, like, with that paintbrush kind of thing. Right. Motion. But th this guy, you know, he had a, he had enough gravitas to him that, you, you know, you kind of felt that he had, uh, you know, he had, he had a, a threatening way about him. Yes, absolutely. I thought he was well, I thought he was well cast. I, I liked him in that part. Yeah, I, I thought that was I thought, thought the plot, you know, the, the overall plot, I think it could have been put together better. But the overall plot of stealing two nuclear missiles, 
you know, holding them for ransom. It, it's something that we will see again in Bond. Uh, but, I, you know, I think that that whole idea is good. I thought that the presentation of Spectre again as this, you know, very, very businesslike criminal organization was kind of cool. And again, you know, as we talked about last time, it's before this became a trope. Right. You know, it, it was it, this was more innovative at the time than it than it seems now because now it seems kind of cliche. But at the time, you know, you really hadn't seen anything quite like that before. Well, and when he he electrocutes the guy for embezzling and the chair goes down, that always yeah. stuck in my and mind. And you see the fear on the other. I was wondering, you see the fear on the other guy's face, and is he saying to himself, "Oh shit, I also embezzled," or is he saying, "I hope he doesn't mistakenly think I did it"? Yeah, that's what I always thought. You know, that, like, I'm the fall guy for this. I mean, if you think about it, like, think back to when you were in grade school and the teacher would be complaining about something that you knew you didn't even do and you'd start getting nervous. Right, anyway. exactly. I don't, I don't know if, if you had that experience, but I certainly yes, did. of course. So I guess, you know, that's the kind of thing. And they're still presenting Blofeld as a very, very mysterious figure just sitting there with the cat on his lap. Uh I, I, you know, these movies back in this day, they were not presented the way they are now. They weren't, you know, serialized the way they are now. They were meant much, much more to be standalone. Uh, you know, there was some some element of building on the story, but I don't think, you know, it was focused on the way it is now. And I, I'm wondering, like, where they thought they were going with Blofeld. Did they, you know, did they just want to keep him a mysterious guy forever? Did they actually plan? Because eventually, and you never, uh, you only live twice. We will get to meet him, much more up close and personal. Uh, you know, was that their their plan all along? I really don't know, and I I've not read these original novels, so I don't know. You know, I know you have some experience with them, so I don't know if they're how he's presented in those. I don't even think Blofeld's in as much in the books. As the films, you know, like I, uh, in From Russia with Love, there's nothing about Spectre. It's the predecessor of the KGB is the bad guy, and I believe in some of these the other books as well. It it, it is not Spectre. It's more the co- the communist uh, Smirsh, yes. right? Or the NKVD, whatever the hell it is. So. Uh, no, I, I don't believe there was a development of Blofeld, in, at least in the ones I read. I, I didn't read them all. But see, now the question becomes, without spoiling ahead, the Blofelds we've seen, he, he's not always, I get it's different actors, but it's not even close. Well, I think the, the biggest differences we see are uh in diamonds are forever right and then eventually and i know you're not you haven't seen but eventually inspect right you know we, we get very 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 different presentations of lowfeld as far as physical appearance presentation and everything uh i'm not sure i'm not sure that it made a big difference to me that they changed him around and and then you know we get some things in Diamonds Are Forever that, you know, plastic surgery, cloning, whatever you want to talk about right. with it. Uh, 
but there, there's definitely more stuff going on with with this character that, to me, almost explains some of what's going, you know, some of the uh, that aspect of his character, and and that doesn't really bother me. But I, I do have to say, you know, in the next movie, and we'll talk about it when we get there. But in You Only Live Twice, to me, that is always the prototypical uh, version of of. I, I agree. I agree. I always think of Donald Pleasance with the scar on his face. I agree, hundred percent, hundred percent. But back to Thunderball, yes. when they're having the Spectre board meeting, for lack of a better term, later on when they have all the double O's meeting, do you kind of get like a feeling of symmetry almost? Yeah, uh, and I think that's intentional. I, I think you're supposed to feel that, you know, that the two rival organizations, one of which is for good and one of which is for evil. You know, it's a little bit more black and white than I think you'd get if this was being presented that way. Right. Now. And and they're both, you're only addressed by a number. Yes. So interesting, uh, or just interesting factoid, uh, Domino and Largo both have their voices dubbed. Oh, I didn't know that. What did you think of the casting of, of Domino? Um, I liked her. I thought she was, look, she's a very, very attractive girl. Um, I was a little, so just because I saw this as a kid, I guess I didn't catch on. In the, at first, I knew she wasn't really his niece, but she kept referring to him as her guardian. Mm-hmm. So that's just code word for she's a kept woman. Yes, and as a kid, I totally that would. Work. I, I'll, I'll be honest well. with you. I was I was thinking as a kid, uh, Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson. <laughs> of course, there's some people that may think the same thing. But that's, well, was, I'm, you know what? I'm gonna, I was going to say something, and for people who think I have no filter, I do. Uh, because I'm not going to say what I was thinking. You know, you know I'm I'm not big on criticizing tropes of the time under current standards. But I did cringe just a bit when Bond basically uh you know, makes uh the price of his silence sex with the physical therapist. Forget even that. I mean, he's trying to kiss her and grope her at every opportunity. I have my note here is sexual assault on the nurse. And then, uh, you know, they go into the the steam room, and you you know you you see through the window uh, shadows of what's going on. And I, I don't mean to make this you know a titillation kind of thing, but what what becomes very very clear to me in a high definition viewing that I I never noticed in previous viewings when he very, very quickly removes her nurse's dress. Mm-hmm. It's very obvious that she has nothing on underneath it. There are no undergarments. A glass. Hmm? I said, you see her back right up against the glass. Yes. Yes, you do. And again, it's very clear. Uh, not, I mean, you're not really seeing it, but you're seeing enough to know that there's nothing, no, no more garments on her. Uh, so, 
I, I, I don't know what, what that says for her. I don't know what that says about him. But, you know, again, it was a different time. So I kind of understand. I can't imagine that even things in, were presented differently. And, you know, he, I guess it's he's James Bond. Women, men want to be him and women want to be with him. Because I can't see anybody, no matter how suave you are, that you're going to be able to get away with that even at that time. Well, what, what the way it's presented, as far as I'm uh, concerned, is he when he did say that, he was saying it tongue in cheek. He didn't, you know, he would not have uh, ratted her out if, if she had said, no, Mr. Bond, I'm not interested in being with you. Uh, and that she was an absolutely willing participant. Mm. So it's not really blackmail. It's not really rape. <laughs> But it's presented in a way that's slightly cringeworthy, to be honest. He gave her the excuse to give in to what she wanted. Was, mm. Yeah. And you see that in movies of that era frequently where, you know, the woman says no, no, no. And the man kind of does a little bit of an aggressive force himself on her kiss. And then she gives into it and clearly wanted to be in that position all along so that, you know, the saying no was kind of a front and clearly that's wrong. And, you know, we live in an era of no means no, and that's a good, yes, <laughs> I don't want, I don't want to be dismissive of that in any way, shape or form, because it is a good thing. But I, in, in fact, I think showing it the way they did then might have encouraged bad behavior from people thinking, oh, this is the way people do it. No really means yes. Yeah, you know what I mean? I, I think I think people may have had the wrong perception based on that. I don't think it, it was meant to show, you know, wrongdoing, but I think it inadvertently did. Right. And it was, you know, it was poorly thought out in that respect, but it was such a common trope in that day. Right, right. You know, that the man's man kind of, you know, he knows what he wants and he takes it kind of thing. Uh, you know, and it's wrong, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's only looking to looking at it through today's lens that you really see it that way. I believe. Right. And that's a trope that goes back to even gone with the wind. So. And, and uh, there, there is an episode about uh, that we will be having on this show about gone with the wind. Uh, it's being delayed for quite a while, actually, for timing reasons that don't need to be going to gone into in depth, but that's discussed, uh, you know, as well as certain uh, racial issues that are in that movie. And, you know, the, there is an element of, can you look at it through the lens of the time it was made? Or is it something where you feel like you need to, uh, to absolutely, uh, you know, not like it now because it's presenting things that, you know, we wouldn't accept nowadays. Uh, my, my take on it is I'm able to look past the current way of things and look back, you know, and say, okay, this, this was more, this was less offensive at the time it was made. And that it's not that I'm, I'm approving of it, but I'm just kind of turning, turning a little bit of a blind eye to it. Well or to the implications of it. I don't want to move on yet because I have a comment about the rack, but related to what we've been saying, there is a somewhat evolution in the movies as far as Paula, 
who's his assistant, for lack of a better word. I guess she's an agent down there. She she's a very she's an I think she's an attractive woman. There's no hanky panky between the two of them. They're both prof. You know what I'm saying? They're yes. professionals. They're on a job. Not maybe if she lived longer, there would have been. But there's nothing but a business relationship there. So that in and of itself is some evolution. But back to the rack. Yes. Who the hell would put a setting on it that would kill you? <laughs> Let's true. build something where, you know, if we put it all the way to the max in five minutes, you'll be dead. And there's really no situation where you could see when you when you watch that scene, there's no circumstance that you can really legitimately think of where you think, OK, well, that's no good right now, but under certain circumstances, you could see where they'd use right. it. Right. There's not, I, I see no purpose to this other than, you know, someone may want to kill someone, so we should just put another setting on. Like ludicrous speed. It's, I, I almost picture like, you know, like a cartoon where it's got, you know, low, medium, high, and then somebody comes over with a pencil and writes in, deadly fast and then just pulls pulls it to that level i'm curious was the rack built by the acme rack company mr yes, mr exactly. we coyote was the salesman yeah <clears throat> uh, so you know the soundtrack i think we already hit on it's a little similar to uh you know or at least you know the 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 score part of it is a little bit similar to what we've heard before. There may be some variations on it. Uh, the theme song by uh, Tom Jones. Tom Jones. What do you think? Um, I, I know Tom Jones is a great singer, but he didn't do anything for me with this song. It's the lyrics really didn't make a lot of sense. No, they, they don't make sense. I, I totally agree with you there. But I, I, I do enjoy the, the version of the song. There apparently is a different version, uh, you know, totally different song titled Thunderball that was submitted by Johnny Cash. Already, I think that was done. I'm, I'm not familiar with it. <laughs> me neither. I, I couldn't tell you what I, what I think of it. Uh, but it would be interesting to hear it. This particular movie made more than any of the previous three Bond films. And I get, I credit some of that to how good Goldfinger was and probably the word of mouth that came out about Goldfinger, you know, when it was released and afterwards, that now Bond was considered to be a little bit of an icon and a new Bond movie was going to get people coming. I could see that. Because I, I, in my opinion, well, we already know Goldfinger is my favorite Bond movie. Me too. Uh, but I also think, you know, there's no question in my mind at all of the four bond movies to this point. Uh, I think it is the certainly the most likely to have a fan following. I, I you know, I, I would almost say it's, it's the best of the four, but I think that's a little subjective. So I want to speak more objectively here. And I would say it's the most likely to have a significant fan following and therefore most likely, I believe the reason why this one had the higher box office than, uh, 
than gold than even Goldfinger did. What were the releases on this? 62, 63, 64, and this one 65? Yeah, we're on we're on an annual release. This is this is uh, similar to the Harry Potter release schedule. You know, one I mean, the, it. I have to say, it's pretty impressive that they were cranking them out that quick. Yeah, and and, and I, you know, I, I criticized the. Uh, the editing and some of the choreography of the action sequences, but that underwater sequence must have taken a very long time to film. It had to. Now about that. Go ahead. The guys that parachute in, I, I'm assuming they're Navy SEALs, right? Because the SEALs I were founded in 62. Who the hell thought red was a good idea? That's I have no idea where that came <clears> from. I, I, I'm pretty sure we learned in the revolution you don't have a bright red outfit when you're going into combat. <clears throat> yeah, I think you can listen to an episode of Listen to the Prophets where we had a good time with that. Not, yeah, with that particular trope. <laughs> where bright red and line up all in a row and just walk towards the enemy. Right. You... See, see where that's going to get you. <laughs> but uh, I, I guess uh, you had to make it so you could see which side was which. Any other aspects of this film that you'd uh, like to discuss before we get on to rating it? Just a few things. <clears throat> when we run into Count Lippy, what gives him away is the tongue tattoo on his arm. At two later points in the film, both Largo and Fiona Volpe, they both have jewelry with the spec, the symbol, right? That octopus thing. Right symbol mm -hmm. almost like one step away from them running into battle going Spectre yeah. what, what, why yeah, it's, would it's, you it's... right you're going to wear something yeah, that gives it? you in relation to that the crew of the Disco Valenti those shirts it just needed underneath henchman number one henchman number two <laughs> henchman number three <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I, I don't disagree with you. I, and again, I guess these these are things that were not considered to be quite as uh, corny back then as they are now. So now, but I, you know, now for, from a plot standpoint, let's think of this. Let's say Mr. Angelo was not a greedy SOB. If he took his money, he said, thank you. You know, it's a pleasure to serve. I'd love to do this again if I could ever be of use to you. And he goes off. Does he still come out of it alive? Or was he going to be killed from the beginning? I suspected that he was going to be kept alive, that he would, you know, he would have been considered to be something of a loyal soldier at that point. OK, now here's where his. I don't know that. You, know, you don't know that. Go ahead. Right. What pushes Domino to help Bond is when he proves to her her brother's dead. By bringing up the dog tags from his body. If Mr. Angelo is allowed to leave unscathed, does Domino help him out? Not knowing now that her brother's dead. Uh, I would suspect it no. could have shifted the whole I plot. I think that's that is right. that is the turning point for her is the you know the understanding that her brother was killed in all of this, and you know going to hate Largo for that, which. You know, if that didn't happen, then she's not shooting him with the uh, harpoon and he's not dying and he's going to kill Bond. 
So just we don't we don't get you only live twice then. The other fluke in the picture when they first meet, her foot is stuck in the uh, coral. So if mm-hmm. Bond doesn't come along, does she drown? Yes. So a lot of ifs in this one. A lot of things. A lot. A lot of points which just dependent on uh, on on chance. I I I like this picture. I have to say before I rate it. Yeah, I, I like it. I, don't get me wrong. When I uh, you know when when I give my criticisms of it, it doesn't necessarily say it's a bad or unenjoyable movie. I just think there's points where it could have been made into an even superior movie yes. uh, had had they done things a little bit differently. And I, the the whole Fiona character, how she specifically undoes with a, yeah, what do you think? Just because you slept with me, I'm going to come over to the side of angels. And of course, the humor where when she's killed and he lays her body at the table, she's just dead. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, I don't think I have anything to point out. I'm just going through my notes here. Oh, you know what I found? The scene what with else? Felix Leiter sort of stalking Bond. Where if it mm. had been, if it had been, say, Jack Lord, you wouldn't have done that at all. Because why is he floating around? Because you changed the actor. Well, I'm supposed to think someone is stalking him. Honestly, I feel like Felix Leiter could have been left out of this movie altogether. I, I didn't didn't feel like his character had any real yeah, I'll agree need with to you. be there. The only excuse is probably they got that cooperation from the U.S. American in there. Yeah, that's true. But, but you know, whether that's necessary, I don't know. Okay. Uh, this film, I feel it. I think it's a solid Jaws, too. You know, it, it's a good film. It, it has a lot of questions, but. Well, I'm, I'm going to say the the fact that the plot is a little difficult to follow, uh, that the narrative could have been just laid out a little bit better, and, and it's a common Bond weakness when they do have weaknesses in the films. But I'm going to say that that aspect of it makes it slightly on the lower end of Jaws 2. If it had been just a little bit more tight in its narrative flow, I think it would have been, a you know, Right, you know, firmly in Jaws 2. But I think it, it drops slightly to the lower end because of some of the plot problems that I have. Right, right. But you'd rate this one higher than From Russia With Love. Yes, they're both they're both in the same end of the scale, but this one is above that. Right, one, I, in my, I feel the same way. In my findings. Same way, yes. Yeah, I think we're, we're pretty much in agreement. I think the only one we disagreed on was the remake of this particular film that you put firmly as a Jaws 4, and I think I put as a Jaws I only did that because there was no George, Jaws 6 or 7. <laughs> well, that'll do it for uh, Thunderball, but Bond will be back, and you only live twice, and Dave will be back with him. Thank Thanks you, for sir. coming on, Dave. Thank you. You're late, Mr. Bond. Mm. Me? Mm-hmm. Well, I'd never have recognized myself. Do I seem healthy? Too healthy by far. Take off your bathrobe, please. You never see that as if you meant it. Arms above your head, please.
Behave yourself, Mr. Bond. Oh, I can see there's only one place to keep you quiet. And what's this? A motorized traction table for stretching the spine. Some patients call it the rack. I'm not surprised. Oh, get on. Where's the Kickstarter? Oh, stop fooling around and face down, please. Face? By the way, who is the man in the room next to your Count Lippy? I really don't know too much about him. Oh, Mr. Angelo. He's here with a private physician, recuperating from an awful car crash, I understand. There now. First time I've felt really safe all day. I'll look in and see how you're doing in 15 minutes. Accidentally. Well, you'd better come along with me. Spend a few minutes in the steam room. Mm. It'll help to relax you. Yes. It might even shrink you back to size. Well, somebody's gonna wish the day had never happened. Well, you wouldn't tell Dr. Wayne. Please, I'd lose my job. Well, I... I suppose my silence could have a price. You don't mean... Oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 